Hello, uh, my name is Mariam Jam. I am the founder of I Am The Code. Welcome to the I Am The Code podcast and thank you so much for being here. Today is Global Hand Washing Day and we are getting so excited here because washing our hands has become more critical with coronavirus and our girls are washing their hands. We are also so proud to have been sending soaps all across the world to our girls thanks to Unilever. We are so grateful to Unilever for sending us soaps from Brazil to Kakumu Refugee Camp in Kenya. Thank you for your donations and your kindness in listening to our podcast and giving us feedback. It means a lot to all of us at I Am The Code. Our girls are keeping healthy, but their health matters too. So washing their hands is something that we are doing every single day now. You know, each time you support I Am The Code, you're elevating young women and girls globally. That's why I can't thank you enough for being here, for partnering with us, for being kind to us, and for supporting us. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Did you know that many diseases can actually be reduced by 25 to 50% just by washing our hands? That's why I invited our friend Miriam Sidibe. She's from Mali but lives in Kenya. She's one of the only people in the world with a doctorate in public health focus on hand washing with soap. Simple soap, really amazing. She's one of the driving force actually for what we're celebrating today, the Global Hand Washing Day, which recognize the need to raise awareness of hand washing with soap as a simple but life-saving habit that can prevent disease. When you finish eating, when you go into the bathroom, wash your hand and she always talks about this. I got to know Miriam through a friend of us and I've been so impressed with her passion for supporting brands to have a purpose. Really awesome lady. She worked at Unilever and at the moment actually wrote a book called Brand on a Mission, which was released this year in May 2020. She's also a fellow at Harvard Kennedy School. Really knowledgeable lady and understand her subject because she's been doing this for nearly two decades. Please follow Miriam Sidibe online. Unilever is one of the leading producers of soap and hygiene products. We all know that. And I'm so proud personally to have been partnered with them, to work with them and have them mentor our girls. Keep washing your hands and I will see you on the other side. Miriam, good morning. Good morning, Mariam. How are you doing? Very good. It's very good to be here with you this morning. Where are you now? I am currently in my office in Nairobi, in Kenya, where I'm based. Um, yeah, so speaking to you from the continent. <laughs> it's always good to talk to you, Miriam. You know, I, I follow your work online and it's really amazing the work you do. It's really great. Well, I send back the compliment to you almost immediately. I think you are <laughs> such an inspiration for the work you do for the young girls. I I, um, I think uh, it's it's very impressive to use your story and your inspiration um, to be able to get more girls um, to believe in what they can do and, and achieve their full potential. So kudos to you, my dear. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I, uh, I always say to people why I invited them to the podcast. Um, I think there are a couple of stuff you really, I look, you know, towards leaders across the world. And one of the things um, I always uh, like about you is that you are very, a nice lady, very authentic, you know, a family, a family, you know, a mom, you know, you really love your children, your husband, uh, and and uh, and you're a beautiful woman inside out. You're always helping people, connecting people. Uh, but that's why I wanted to invite you, so the girls can hear from you, and and we just we can we can learn a little bit about your story. So, what was the last event you did before the lockdown? Then, 
Hmm. The last event I did before the lockdown, uh, where was I actually? Just before the lockdown, I just came back from London, actually. I, um, I had a trip in London where I took, um, I went for a WaterAid board meeting because I'm on the board of WaterAid. WaterAid is the largest civil organization um, in, uh, in the world on water and sanitation. And we had a board meeting in London. So that was my last uh, international trip. Um, and then came back to Kenya and almost immediately jumped straight into the response of COVID-19, trying to get people to wash their hands, obviously. Yeah, that was quite busy for you. The beginning of Mar- April, March, April was busy. I saw you all over the place teaching people how to wash their hands. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it seemed like the culmination of everything I've ever been working for. Um, you know, for two decades, I've been thinking about hand washing with soap. But I've been dreaming about ways to get people to wash their hands with soap. And all of a sudden, here's this pandemic where the only thing um, that can help us from stopping uh, this uh, or flattening the curve is to get people to practice hygiene. So it seemed like a really important moment to step in, an important moment to to talk about um, about the, the the potential impact that we could have, um, and also trying to get um, my two loves together. So I have believed in in obviously the power of companies and what brands can do to drive change. And I believe in in hygiene as the foundation and health and well-being as a foundation of social justice. So putting these two together meant that, um, you know, I could very quickly get, uh, you know, the world out there and then um, and try to get uh, programs at a very big scale. So which is what I've started and continue doing um, as well during this time. That's amazing. You know, I... Um... I, I, talking about brands, I, I love the book, by the way. It's really amazing. <laughs> it's beautiful. I saw your photo. It's really amazing book, really. It's really, it, it was, it's so timely to have the book. You know, really, really timely. So congratulations on, on launching it. No, thank you very much. It's, uh, I, I mean, I'm glad the book has, uh, has come out. Um, I couldn't have planned for a better launch time, even if I had uh, tried. Um, a book about two decades of hand washing coming out in the middle of COVID-19. And, um, and obviously we have a cover that's been inspired from the Black Lives Movement, uh, where I really wanted to, to bring out to the world the fact that, you know, in companies, there are also human beings um, that are there and that are trying to make a difference. And that, you know, and that it's really important that we don't work in isolation when it comes to so- getting solution out in the world. No, no, absolutely. I really love it. I love the book. I'll talk about it a little bit more in, in a minute. Uh, so I, I also, um, I'm fascinated about your childhood. You know, I know you started early at the UN. Would you mind just telling us where did you study and where did you grow up? Would you mind just telling the girls where you come from? No, of course. Um, so I'm from Mali, um, your sister right uh, next to Senegal, of course. Um, I grew up my parents, you know, in Mali until I was about 12 years old. So my first language is Bambara, Manenke, Jula. Um, you know, so I um, I went to public schools until my parents, uh, my dad got a, a breakthrough to join the UN in 1986, and we moved to to Zaire at the time, so DRC in a rural area, um, and um, and started uh, following him around on his international career. So from from DRC Zaire, we moved to New York, and then in New York, I joined the international school, the UN International School. And that's where I learned to speak English in 1991. And um, very quickly, I was into the model UN, and I was chosen to to go give a speech um, at the United Nations on on gender equality and and women empowerment, uh, which I felt that even in my broken English, people could feel could feel my um, my passion 
for what I had to say about, you know, how I felt that women in Africa were not given the real opportunity to grow or achieve their full potential and that there were such disparities in, um, in, in the way women were being treated. So, so that's, that, that was my first speech. I was 14 in the UN and I'm very proud of, very proud of that. I think um, it, this was my, uh, this was my, my, my uh, desire at the time to really put gender equality at the, at the, at the heart of the conversation. You know, not much has changed since then, so I'm, <laughs> I'm still very excited and always a, a powerful champion for women. No, no, I, I definitely know that. Uh, and Mali is such a, a beautiful country. I mean, I love Mali. I love Malians. You guys are so proud as well. I mean, when I say proud, it's like dignified. And I saw on the book your mom and dad. Beautiful, beautiful photos. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So you, you are mixed race, right? Both my parents are mixed race. So it's mm-hmm. two mixed race couples together. But I think, you know, ultimately, you know, we grew up in Mali. My grandmother is French. She's, um, my, you know, she met my, my grandfather during World War II. He was a radio operator in her village in uh, poitou charentes and then, um, and then she followed him and she never went back because anyway, her family disowned her and didn't want anything to do with her because she, she was going to go marry this, um, this black man and have this uh, half biracial children in, um, you know, and this is in the 1940s. So, um, so she moved to Mali and she lived there for 50 years. So to be honest, we've been raised very Malian. So um, I think where I feel French is probably in the mix of the food because I think she brought in um, and came up with amazing fusion of, of, of dishes that uh, reflected the French heritage as well as the, the local ingredients that she could find. But, um, but I, you know, I, I, feel, I feel Malian. I grew up um, thinking you know, about being Malian from the name, from the culture, from the local languages. Um, so I, I feel very Malian. I grew up in that environment. Um, and, um, and then I only really took my place as a third culture child as I went through universities, um, you know, in, in, in Canada, then in the UK, and then um, and obviously in the US over the last two years at Harvard. It, it, that's when I really started thinking, well, actually, I'm more than Malian. I'm definitely an African advocate at heart. Um, and I believe and I'm always championing for African talent. But I, I also... Of course, through my um, my background and my upbringing and my uh, and my journey in life, have taken on a lot more values from the other places where I have lived and and I guess matured as a as an individual. The the other thing is, I was I was thinking the other days when I was reading the book. Um, there was a section uh, that definitely shows your you know your African culture, your Malian culture, but also your knowledge as a as an academia in in helping brands to you know talk about their social mission. Um, would you mind just telling us a bit why do you think uh, the book is important right now, and why do you think brands should really focus on on their social missions? Well, thank you. Uh, the book. <laughs> I think the book is uh, is timely. I think we are at a time where the world is in crisis. Um, I think we need more compassionate uh, um, partnerships. And I think it starts with rethinking about the role of capitalism and the role of businesses. Um, and I, I believe very much that more empathy is required to find solutions to get out of this crisis. So I, I, I think at the heart of that is for brands to think about their social mission and, and, you know, and really move beyond what their purpose is, but translate that into meaningful missions. So we can think of business models that are sustainable because I believe in, in the power of capitalism and the market economy as a way to change, um, to change the world, but also um, you know, in the ability to, to 
take all this, this amazing talent, um, um, you know, insights that comes with the private sector, muscle power, reach, distribution, product development, as a way to get the messages to millions and millions of people around the world. And um, so my book basically tries to bridge the divide between what I call the brand do and the brand say, which is, you know, on one point, the, the brands and the corporations talking about what is it that they're trying to do for, for, for consumers mm -hmm. and for populations versus the brand do, which is actually where you try to drive the real impact and how much investment is required into that. Because I don't think we are anymore in a place where we, we need to look at um, you know CSR or corporate social responsibility, but much more around what the purpose needs to be um, and how do you translate the purpose into something that is lived and breathed by the brand. And I think this is what I'm trying to really advocate in this book. So I use the visual of the baobab tree, which is the tree of life, because it, it produces everything from food, shelter to shade. Um, Would you yeah. mind telling people what is a baobab tree? Because it, I mean, our girls might have never seen the baobab before. What is a baobab? A baobab tree. I mean, a baobab tree is found, uh, you know, in the savanna in Africa, in uh, quite a, a lot of places around Africa. It's basically, it's called a tree of life. It's one of these trees that stays alive for 1,000 years. There's even one in South Africa that's like 6,000 years. And, um, and I believe that, you know, if you've got your roots well um, you know, a, a watered, a nurtured, and quite deep, then actually this baobab stands, you know, across the storms, it stands across all the crisis that happens. And I, and I think, and, and it gives you an amazing, you know, uh, it, it, the fruit of the baobab is used, um, you know, quite as superfoods. If you, if you go to Whole, Whole Foods or, or some of the, the supermarkets in Europe or and in Africa also, we use it as a drink. Um, you know, we produce a, a shelter uh, from the baobab. The baobab is also used as shade and we can even produce clothing out of the baobab as well. So I think it's um, the idea for me was that these baobab roots um, and this majestic element of what the baobab is can be almost a reflection of what the brand really stands for, right? So it is those roots that are, are going to drive my, my vision of what the brand do really is about. And the brand do here is your ability um, to, 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 to drive um, partnerships that are meaningful and that are also embedded, um, behavior change that's going to drive real lifestyle norms and positivity. Um, really thinking about, um, you know, trying to drive a systemic change and thinking about what your space is and what kind of brand-led advocacy you can do. You know, really thinking about measuring your impact so that you're not just talking about doing something, but not, not really measuring the kind of impacts that you need to have. And of course, um, winning support uh, for, 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 for within the corporation so that it's the entire corporation muscles that you're using towards driving the impact. And I think for me, this is, this is the framework that I've been using, of course, um, throughout the, the, the book as a way to, to give people an idea that, look, here's this tree, here's this majestic element of it. And then here are these amazing roots that you can look at and then you can try to really drive and, and keep those corporations and those brands authentic and honest as well on how they need to respond to crisis around the world um, but also, you know, in terms of driving social mission and not just using the purpose as purpose washing, but as a way to be able to drive uh, real impact. I mean, that's really amazing. I, when I read the book, actually, I was thinking, 
not only on the brand point of view, but also as a, as, a, as human beings and like having the right foundation in life, you know, making sure you have the, you know, your health is, is intact and the right connection, the right partnership. So I had, I had some thinking when I was reading it and talking about foundations and relationships and, um, and people, you know, around the world right now, we all need each other. I know you have an amazing mentor you've been talking about online recently, I've seen you talking about. Would you mind just telling us who are the people who have really gave you this foundation, this Baobab tree foundation in your life? I, I would say that, um, um, you know, there's a couple of people that have, of course, influenced me deeply. Um, and, um, and I'm probably just going to focus on Val Curtis, uh, Professor Val Curtis, that I'm, I'm, you know, that I'm giving the vote of thanks at her inaugural lecture as a professor this week. I think, you know, I, I met Val when I was in Kigali. I was a young girl coming out of university, um, you know, and, 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 you know, basically met her in Kigali in Rwanda in 2000. And, um, and you know, she's been my moral compass, you know, in, in many ways. She didn't just teach me about behavior change, hygiene, hand washing, even though she's probably the best and single-handedly has put hand washing on the public health agenda for about 30 years. Um, but what she did is that she taught me how to live my life, not just the the why of what I was doing, but also the what. Um, you know, so I, I was already a passionate believer on equality, on equity, on hygiene, but it really just took Val to help me focus those passions in my life into a real tangible mission. Um, you know, and that for that, I, I will always be extremely thankful. She was my supervisor for my doctorate in public health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Val always kept asking me, you know, what are you going to change the world, Miriam? You know, and, and it was always accompanied with like a reminder of the importance of my mission, you know, and that my mission was fueled by doctorate in public health by, you know, that I was standing on the shoulders of giants like herself, like Sandy Kencross, who have been fighting and spent their entire professional life, you know, telling the world about how hygiene was the foundation of public health. And look, they're being told that they were right in the middle of a pandemic of COVID-19, where the only thing you could do is actually get people to wash their hands and practice hygiene. And this has been her life work. And, and, um, and yet, right in the middle of this COVID-19, She's, you know, her life is being taken away from her and she's on, she's, she's you know, she's, she's probably living the last weeks of, of her life, as, you know, you've seen in The Guardian and, you know, everything that she's been, she's been up to and still trying to fight for, for other people beside herself, saying we need to equip the NHS, we need to make sure that her life is not lost needlessly, um, you know, and that, let, you know, that other diseases such as cancer are not for, forgotten during the COVID-19. And I... You know, I owe her everything. I mean, I owe her my professional background, but I owe, I've learned so much from her courage, um, from really thinking about, is this really important? How, you, you know, like, what are we trying to fight for? Are you really fighting for, 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 for positions? What are you fighting for? You know, and I think ultimately reminding yourself that what, what made me happy and the reason why I was always keen to do what I wanted to do was because I wanted to make a difference to, you know, women in rural areas in Africa and, and Asia. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, they, they were equipped and, you know, the soap was available and the water was available and that we could make a difference in people's lives, you know, so. No, it's it's interesting you said that. No, no, it's absolutely interesting you said that. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on that a little bit. So I think what I hear you say here is the power of mentoring, a power of paying it forward. So this woman, I mean, I adore her. She's just like really amazing. I feel so sad that she's going through what she's going through right now. But that also led me to, to my question to you. 
you know, why do you think it's important for people to pay it forward? And especially when you get people like this woman who has been almost your mentor, your your guide, your guide, and someone who pushed you to be who you are today because, you know, she really expanded your thinking across the world and, and pushed you to be better. And now you are doing better. Uh, you know, what do you think, why do you think it's important to have people like her, especially our young women and girls, they are being mentored by people, they are being guided by people. I mean, you are an amazing mother, you guided your daughter, who's now going to, you know, who's now at the university. Why do you think this is really touching your heart? Because you're very passionate about it. Can you, can you tell us why? I think it's really important to have the right mentors and, uh, and, and role models, right? And I think, um, you know, it's, it's really important that you see women that, um, you know, are, are, are willing to, you know, that have given everything they've got and then put, a, you know, a values-led life as a priority, right? Because I think it's, um, you know, it, 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 it helps you not only professionally to focus what it is you're trying to do, you know, transform your purpose and clarify what your purpose is, which I think is really clear for me. You know, I, you know, like, uh, you know, I knew that I wanted to fight for social justice. I knew that I wanted to do that for health and well-being. And then I knew that I wanted to do that for sustainable business. Um, you know, and I, and I've seen the power firsthand of what businesses can do, but I also know the limitations and then the, the difficulties of being able to reconcile profits and and you know and saving lives for example you know so i think it's important to go back to your core and think about you know the the humility that comes with you know a, a mission and the, the the ability that you're given to serve you know and as a leader if you you, you you're trying to save lives there's there's no better <laughs> um a leadership or serving stage than being able to to make an impact on people's life daily right um, but yet I still know that you can't do this in isolation. And I, you know, there's this undying belief in me that you can't do this alone, that you need to bring many different actors. So I believe in the power of partnerships, the power of academia, the power of private sector, and the power of all these worlds. And then this is, if there's one thing she's taught me is that blending disciplines is the right way forward if you're going to be able to drive real impact. And that it is fine to always want to make a difference, even though the world is not always set up this way and people are living in their greedy little corners, happy with themselves and not thinking beyond um, their immediate uh, uh, satisfactions, right? So I think that's really important. And if there's one thing she's, you know, she keeps, you know, she keeps reminding me on and her life keeps reminding me of is that you actually don't need so much to be happy. Um, you know, you need, there's, there's a limit um, to that. And I think that the biggest happiness comes in, 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 in giving your life for, for, for servitude, for other people and, and, you know, for a cause that is bigger than yourself. You know, Miriam, I, um, I have seen you change. I've seen you reinvent yourself. I've seen you stand up. Uh, I was saying to a friend of, a common friend of us the other day that Miriam Bay could have just uh, but take all of his family to United States, uh, sit down there, become a professor at Harvard. But you came, you came back home. Uh, now you're fighting for different options. And I've seen you change. I've seen you grow so much. It's really unbelievable. Can you just rethink back a little bit some challenging moments you had as a young woman growing up, but also some moment you had uh, in a humble way in your bedroom or somewhere quiet where you thought that this woman really helped me in my life, you know, this woman really mentored me, or, you know, not just her, but a variety of people really supported you. What are those moments? How, how did you feel about those little moments? Like, when I think about your daughter now, uh, who's going to be in Costa Rica, someone will impact her life somehow. But can you just explain to our young girls those moments you had where you felt challenged, 
but at the same time you had someone that you can you know turn turn on to to to, to get some support well i think uh, it's really important and there's so many people across my career and even my personal life that have helped me quite a bit right so i moved to harvard uh, two years ago to take this you know very prestigious um, fellowship And then I met some amazing people, right? Some amazing uh, mentors, um, um, again, you know, professors um, that just, you know, gave me the advice, you know, the, a very simple advice that can, you know, change the course of your book or change the course of who you decide and what you decide and, and, and all of that. So I think, um, you know, I, I believe that in the importance of always putting your purpose um, first to keep reminding yourself what is it that you are about, right? So, it, you know, and I knew that what I wanted to do is always thinking about driving social impact. Now, how I do this is, you know, I would like to use social sustainable business as a way forward, but I think, you know, you keep thinking about what is it that you're trying to do and therefore what, what, what is the field that you, 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 you want to foster, right? Um, and, I, and, and then as you keep doing that and you're trying to make a difference, you will find people that will help you. They will, you know, this, the world is made out of politics and we understand it and, you know, we understand the, compl the complexities and the greediness that comes with, you know, a lot of these politics around. But I, I, I do genuinely believe that human beings when um, can also go out of their way to really help you, uh, um, you know, find and make a difference. So I... I You know, when I when I sit and I think about my daughter who's out there now by herself and left the nest and home, all I can do is hope that I have given her enough, um, I guess, backbone to be able to go back and, and think that, one, she's always welcome at home and therefore will always be here for her should she need it. That her life matters, her contribution matters, and that she has been given chances that many people haven't, and therefore she has to give back. Um, you know, and I think that's at the end of the day for me. Whenever I keep reminding myself of how far I've come, and I've come from Mali, rural areas in Mali, and I, I never ever would have imagined that I would have come this far, and yet that also keeps me going because I think, well, actually I'm here. I can't just focus on my selfish person and only thinking about what matters for me, even though that, you know, taking care of my family is a priority and really important for me, but that there are many other generations that are looking up to me as an opportunity to drive the way forward, to trailblaze um, for what else is possible, you know, like what is the limit? And, and I have done that over and over again. In 15 years that I've spent in Unilever, I have created my job every two years. Every two years I have kept going and saying, look, we, you know, my full potential is not being achieved here. You are not using me to my full potential. What else is possible out there that you need to do? If you're going to be talking about diversity, you're going to be talking about impact. We need to equip, you know, more senior leaders and women of colors to be able to, you know, to drive this change from within. And also because that gives role models for more younger girls to say it's possible. It is not just a boys club and a white man's world. Mm. No, no, absolutely. I, I do agree. I mean, you know, I, I, one of the things I also have noticed that you, 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 are, you and I both are come, you know, from Africa, from different backgrounds, you know, Mali, not far from Senegal. And I, I always, um, you know, that you talk about my story and, and you know, the difficulty I had as a, as a young woman. People always ask me, why do you do I Am Record? It's just because exactly as you said, I don't want to leave this world in a mess. I want to make sure that I leave it in a at least a little bit of better place for your daughter, for my son. And so what would you say 
knowing all of this, you know, being an African woman, you know, an academia, someone we respect into the, in the, into the ecosystem, what would you say to the youngest uh, Miriam, you know, what would you say to the youngest Miriam now you have all of this knowledge, but also growing, what would you say to your younger self? I would say believe in yourself more. Um, I think the fact that we're coming from different backgrounds does not in any way diminish our what we bring to the table. I think we've got a perspective um, which is different yet absolutely essential if we want a world that is inclusive, more equitable, um, and that is going to be, you know, taking and, and putting girls and 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 you know and, and young women and and Africans at the forefront of the conversation. So I think let's not diminish that knowledge um, because you feel you, you feel not necessarily fitting in. It's actually the world's problem if they are not figured out how to fit you in and how to best work with you. I think it's also, you know, it, it's important that um, you believe in yourself and that you don't try to necessarily, you know, shrink yourself in places that you, 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 know, you know, you're maybe bigger for. Yeah, I think young girls need to have the confidence to ask for what they deserve, <laughs> um, you know? And I think our societies, our school systems, our education system need to equip girls to be able to ask for what they deserve, um, you know, because that is something that the world is not set up to do. You're being told a million times why you, you shouldn't get where you are, why having a child is an issue, why, you know, be, being pregnant is an issue, why, you know, you had to take maternity leave, why, you know, you have to take care of children. But actually, the maturity, the strength that comes with motherhood, the strength that come with being a woman and fighting on all these different places, the resilience that you have to put out to be able to fit in, is something that brings you a unique value that has a cost and that we should be able to say it is so valuable. It is absolutely life-changing. And that's the paradigm that we need to change. Um, because, you know, you shouldn't have to take incredible sacrifices. Um, you know, and I've seen so many women saying they have sacrificed not having kids, not having family, you know, because they felt that this is what was needed for a career. And I'd like my daughter um, my daughters, not to feel that way, to feel that you can be good, you can work really hard. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to be constantly doing a trade-off and that being a mother or being a woman has to be, you know, like a trade-off and that you have to turn yourself into a, a professional male to make it uh, somehow. Absolutely. What would you say um, your daughter about racism? Now she's in Latin America. Um, and have you been discriminated yourself as a woman? I have. It's a it's a very subtle, um, you know, microaggressions that you get. Um, you know, the microaggressions around. Well, you're not like every Malians. Oh, oh, you speak pretty good French, or you speak pretty good English, for that matter. Oh, but you, you're very different um, from the rest of the Africans. Or Africans have a, you know, um, there's a problem of integrity in Africa. Like, what is that supposed to mean? There's, there's no problem. I mean, I, I, there, I've, I've seen people in, you know, in, 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 in Burkina Faso and in, in, in Mali that have such a level of dignity, of, you know, of pride and um, of integrity that I, I have not seen displayed anywhere else in, in, you know, in, in around the world. So I think the, the discrimination comes in, in this, yeah, she's good um, where she is, and then you're just being paraded as like some sort of like, uh, 
a circus animal, but you're not necessarily fully being given the skills and the fully formal power to be able to make a difference. And that is the fundamental difference that I, I see. And then, of course, you can keep talking about, well, you know, well, she maybe hasn't done enough team. Uh, she hasn't had a bigger team. She needs to learn this. But, you know, it's a choice the, the system makes to be able to not give you these opportunities to prove yourself. I think that is a reality we need to keep them accountable on. And this is why, for me, it matters to be back in Africa. It matters to be back in my continent because at the end of the day, I, you know, I feel like I can make a real difference. And if I can even get to employ 50 people um, you know, and give them a real opportunity to thrive within the continent whilst making an impact in the continent, it's something that is so critical, um, so critical. And this is why I thrive for entrepreneurship. I thrive for making a difference in that. In that holding government accountable as well. And I know that you do hold government accountable. And I saw you doing some business meetings and business roundtables. Those are amazing things you're doing as well. Yeah, keeping government accountable. The education has to be wholesome. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, if we're looking at COVID-19, the disparities between the people that can afford private education and people that are in public education, it's going to be even worse because most likely people are not going to be able to go to school for them for the next one year, one year and a half. So what is going to happen to that generation who's going to spend two years out of school? And who cannot afford mentors, who are tutors, who cannot afford... Connections, don't have the right connections. Don't have the right connections. So I can't stop but thinking about, you know, this this inequalities. It breaks my heart, you know, it breaks my heart. I don't know how do you feel about it. Of course, yeah, it's very difficult, yeah. How do you feel about the fact that, you know, there will be some young girls and boys who will not go to school for the next, you know, almost two to three years, the, the, the entire education has been interrupted. I think it's, uh, it, it's really sad and um, it's such a lost uh, uh, potential opportunity if we don't react as private sector and public sector and most likely government, because those are government schools, um, you know, to make sure that we are putting in place you know, alternative education routes or, and you've seen in Kenya, we're talking about 3,000 girls, teenage girls that are now, you know, being pregnant during this time, because it's not just the education time that you lose, it's also the fact that not having access to condoms, being locked at home with uncles and, and cousins or in environment that are not necessarily productive for you and your intelligence. So the cost of COVID-19 in Africa in some of these places is not so much even the life um, that you might have lost. It's more actually the opportunity lost. And then the fact that we're going to find ourselves with generations of teenage girls that are now teenage mothers, um, the fact that people you know, have lost maybe their livelihoods and their potential businesses, Um, the fact that people, you know, that the biggest crisis is probably going to be the hunger crisis, that businesses are probably collapsing, Um, the fact that, you know, there's such a disparity and education gap again between the people that can afford and people that can't afford. I think these are going to be the real cost of COVID-19 in our countries. And that for me is really sad because it's, it's basically all the work we've done in trying to get to the, the, the goals, right, to the SDG goals, is going to be jeopardized by this COVID-19 unless we can come up with stronger multi-sectoral collaborations and partnerships, which I'm thriving and really working hard on. Absolutely. I mean, talking about SDGs, I am the code is at the center of all of the, the goals. How optimistic are you with the Sustainable Development Goals? I think there's a real role 
Um, for, for the SDGs, and I think the goals are such a great compass, um, you know, to strive and to put at the center of a lot of our SDGs or of our sustainable business models. Um, I think the way the, the UN is uh, organizing itself probably needs to change and keep, you know, partnerships and, and, and businesses way more accountable than it has done in the past. Um, I think the goals in themselves, we need to be really careful that, you know, we keep the energy level behind them and that they just don't become some empty background of, you know, wallpapers. <laughs> I think that is the, my biggest worry, right? I was on a, on a, I did my book launch last week and I was talking to this professor who was amazing. And she didn't know what the SDG goals were. Yes. And she's, she's a professor at Harvard. She didn't. Yeah. She's like, well, what is that again? Oh, yeah, SDG goals. No, I've never heard of them. And that, for me, was like, okay, this is the, the kind of education we need to do, right? We need to be able to explain a lot more around how um, the, the, the foundations of these SDG goals is a, is, is a business opportunity. And I, and I like to say that because, you know, if I look at health and well-being alone, you, know, you can create an opportunity of $1.8 million trillion dollars just on health and well-being under the SDGs if companies know how to tap that. So my goal is to really try to put this at the heart of the conversations and see how that's possible. Our mission is to get 1 million women and girls to learn how to code by the year 2030. And that's SDG number four, and number eight, and number nine. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's so important we talk about the SDGs because, as you said, many people don't know about the SDGs, but it's, but right now it's for everyone. You know, people can really learn about the SDGs and create businesses around it. And so our mission is to push so hard uh, in the next couple of weeks to actually make people understand them. The UN the UN will focus on, on SDGs again. Um, you know, that's why we had so many people coming on the podcast for that. So I've got a few more questions for you before you go. The question is, what is mentoring? Because I think the valve, when you talk about valve, it really, I can feel it from your heart. I can feel it inside of you. It's very, very nice. So can you just say to us in, in Bambara, in French, what is, why mentoring is important? I think mentoring is, is important at many levels. It isn't just about the, the professional, um, uh, you know, imparting of, of ways and teaching you about the, the qualification and the skills. I think mentoring is important because it gives you role modeling and gives you opportunities to see life in a different ways and to, to challenge you to keep uh, achieving your potential, your full potential. Um, you know, and keep thinking about different ways to think of life, not just saying this is the only thing that I will be able to do and I can do. And I think a good mentorship opportunity um, never stops challenging your, you and your mission and, um, and, and, and then keep thinking, putting at the, your development and your growth at the, at the heart of the conversation. And I, and I think that goes, that is not just a professional skill set in partnering. That's also very much about life skills and, and, and thinking about how you, you, know, you put passion at the heart of the conversations and all that. Je pense qu'avoir un accompagnement personnel et professionnel de personnes à qui tu fais confiance, que tu admires, um, qui ont aussi eu un, un chemin particulier dans la vie, 
est très importante, surtout, je pense, pour des, des, des jeunes femmes qui, qui souvent, ce n'est pas très clair, il n'y a pas beaucoup de personnes, tu ne sais pas exactement qu'est-ce que tu peux devenir. Je pense que ça t'aide non seulement à te, à te donner euh, une, une idée de ce que tu peux être, ne pas te limiter, mais aussi t'encourager à atteindre ton potentiel maximum. Et ça, je pense que c'est absolument essentiel, aussi bien en tant que femme, que tu puisses compléter tes, 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 ce que tu veux être, que ce soit une femme euh, mariée, professionnelle, mère, euh, que tu puisses vraiment savoir que c'est possible de pouvoir être une professionnelle et de pouvoir faire toutes ces, tout, accomplir tout cela en même temps. Niala yake, ikamurosoro, mumesekata niye, ki deme, ki mara, ki ase ka yoro fin girila, ibisekake mwomunye, ala ki sabuke, parce que ça, c'est quelque chose qui est très, très difficile et très, très rare à trouver. So, donc, euh, je souhaite vraiment à toutes les jeunes filles de pouvoir trouver un mentor qui puisse les aider dans cette direction. I am so proud, Miriam Sidibe, to have you on this podcast. And I think that the girls will learn from you, but not only the girls, but also the businesses and, and our fellow Africans. You know, I always say that our fellow Africans need to learn more from people uh, and they need to learn more from each other. We are just, we're not just, you know, academia and but we have so much to give and i personally think you have so much to give miriam to this world uh i'm so proud of you i'm proud of what you're doing the, the book is amazing your daughter is amazing thank you so much for coming on the podcast miriam cdb thank you well thank you to you you're amazing <laughs> miriam cdb is really awesome as you can hear she is absolutely knowledgeable and she loves the work she does You know, worldwide, there are over 780 million people who do not have access to improved water sources. This is terrible. And so many people do not have access to hand-washing facilities with soap and water available at home. And sometimes, even if they have soap, they don't have water, which is absolutely terrible. We need to do something about this. And one of the things I've learned this week, you know, is that we have the power to reset systems that are not favorable to women and girls. Women and girls need to go to the toilet with dignity and pride. So soap and water must be available for our boys and our girls. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, uh, Mariam Jam. Come back soon for another I Am The Code episode. We have so many amazing people we have invited for you to learn from and listen to. Join IamTheCode.org if you want to donate more uh, to our girls. We're on Twitter and Facebook, on Instagram, we're all over the place. And we'll be definitely celebrating today Global Hand Washing Day all over the internet. There's a time for you to reinvent yourself like Miriam Sidibe. Please go and do that. Thank you so much for being here and listening to us. And I will see you very soon. Goodbye.